Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Thank you for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, for you guys who might not know me, my name is Jesse. I'm the college pastor here, and I appreciate you uh, coming and spending your Monday night with us. So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling No Hard Feelings. And so the whole purpose of this series is really learning how to worship regardless of what's happening in our lives. So often we work under this mindset that when it comes to worshiping God, we have to separate us singing to him, us worshiping him with the different hard feelings or the negative emotions that we have in our life. And so the whole series is based upon this idea that we can worship God in light of our hard feelings, not in spite of them. And so last week we talked about how we can worship God through our discouragement. And we talked about how we can embrace what's real about us and then we can embrace what's real about God based upon Psalm 13. That's how we can worship through our discouragement. And so tonight, we're going to talk about how we can worship in the middle of our confusion. And so to do that, we're going to be in Psalm 44. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up or turn them on. That's where we're going to be in Psalm 44. We will have the verses on the screen, so feel free to follow along with us there. Um, and we'll, we'll take care of you. But if you want to open up and, and read, we'll be in Psalm 44 tonight. So last week, we kind of gave a definition of discouragement. So tonight, as we get started, let me kind of give you an understanding or definition of confusion to kind of make sure we're all on the same page here, right? So here it is. Confusion is comparing experience to expectation, right? That's what confusion is. When we compare our experience to our expectation, and these two things don't match up. So let me give you an example. So imagine that you're excited about going on a classy, a classy birthday date with someone that you like, right? And so you're expecting to go to Olive Garden, Enjoy some chicken parmesan, right? Some endless breadsticks, and endless salads, right? That's what you have in your mind. That's your expectation. But if your experience lands you at Chuck E. Cheese, eating cardboard pizza, sitting next to a mechanical mouse that sings, right, you're going to be a little bit confused, right? A little bit confused at that moment. Why? Because what you're expecting doesn't match with your experience. And see, that's what confusion is. Whenever we compare two things and we expect one thing, but our experience lands us somewhere else. And so that's the idea that we're working with tonight. And so because we can compare so many things, we can really be confused about just about anything, right? So many things in our lives we can be confused about, but especially in our relationships and the people we date, with our siblings, with our parents, and even in our friendships. So my last year of college was a whole lot of fun because the summer before my senior year, I'd met this really cute girl from Ohio and I decided to put a ring on it. That's right, just doing what I do. Um, (laughs) And and so, um, I don't know why I said that. Um, And so, (laughs) so we we got engaged and so we spent our whole senior year just kind of planning out our wedding, right? And one thing that's really underrated about weddings that a lot of people don't think about is getting to choose your wedding party, right? Getting to choose the people who are going to be your bridesmaids and your groomsmen on your big day, right? Girls get this a lot better than guys do, right? They throw parties. They have handwritten notes that they give out, right? People cry. I mean, it is a a big deal, right? Guys, we'd rather just nonchalantly ask somebody over a game of Fortnite. I don't know. And so... But it's a big deal, right? Because what you're doing when you're asking somebody to be a part of your wedding party is you're basically putting them on the starting lineup of your friends list, right? 
I mean, these are the people that out of everybody else in the world that you've ever met, they're top tier. Right? These are the people in your life that you want to represent you when you say, I do, on that big day. So these are your people, right? I mean, these are the people who stay up with you past midnight, even though they have a 7 a.m. class the next day. These are the people who know that you can quote every episode of The Office and don't roll their, their eyes at you when you do. I mean, these are the people who told you when you went on that first date not to order the onion soup because your breath would stink if you did. And then they cried with you when your date did anyways, right? So, I mean, those are the kind of people that are standing there with you on that big day, right? These are the people who are on your team. This is your squad. And so it's a lot of fun to pick out these people. So, of course, I had my squad, right? I had my starting friends list. And what was neat is there was a guy on my list who actually was getting married around the same time I was. And so that was cool. And this guy made the squad, I mean, easily, like no questions asked. In fact, there was one point that I almost made him co-best man with my twin brother. And if you have a twin, you know how big of a deal that is, which is like four people in the room. Um, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal when you ask somebody to be a co-best man with your uh, brother. I didn't, but I got close to it. And this guy, I'd known since middle school, right? So all those stories I tell you about people breaking my heart, he was there through it all, right? He was, he was next to me. Um, I mean, just the different Difficulties, right? The good and the bad. This guy was standing next to me in that. I mean, he was there with me, you know, and, and a lot of my spiritual growth in my life. In fact, I wouldn't be where I am today in my relationship with Jesus if it wasn't for that guy. I mean, just a huge, huge part of my story. Love the guy, still do. I mean, still have huge respect for him um, and love the friendship that we've had over the years. And so you can imagine how shocked I was when one day me and my brother are hanging out. And he tells me that he doesn't think I am going to be a part of this guy's wedding. So we were just like sitting there one time, and I don't remember what we were talking about. And he just says, yeah, you know what? I don't think me and you, because my brother were, was friends with him too. He's like, I don't think we're going to be a part of this guy's wedding. And I'm like, excuse me? Bro, have you lost your mind? Because if you have, let me take you outside and I will help you find it, right? I mean, that was like my defense. I was so defensive when he said that. I was like, there's no way. You do not know what you're talking about. I mean, I never even had that thought come into my mind. And when my brother said that, I thought his words were absolutely ridiculous. Because I was best friends with this guy. I knew this guy. We had a close relationship. And so I just assumed if, I was gonna be, if he was going to be standing next to me, that I was going to be standing next to him. But what was crazy as we got closer and closer to his wedding date, my brother looked a lot less like an idiot and a lot more like he knew exactly what he was talking about. Because as we got closer to his big day, right, there was no phone call, no text message, no Fortnite moment, where he sat there and said, hey man, I want you a part of my squad. I want you to be on my with me on that, my wedding day. In fact, the conversation I remember having with him was, was one we were kind of in a group of people and he mentioned how he just had a lot of people who he wanted to be his groomsmen, but just based upon everything that was happening, he just wasn't sure how he was going to be able to fit everybody in. And then eventually, what I had just expected to happen for so long didn't meet my expectations. Because one day I was on his wedding page. I think that's still popular now. And he had, gotten, uh, 
and I don't know why I was on it, but I was going through his information, and on there, he happened to list all the guys who were his groomsmen. And as I sat there on my computer, making my way through that list, one by one by one, I got to the end of it and saw that my name wasn't on it. And when this happened, I wasn't upset with the guy, and I wasn't mad at him, right? Because he didn't do anything wrong. This was his wedding. This was his big day. So he could choose to have whoever he wanted to up there on the stage with him. So again, I wasn't mad. This guy did not do anything wrong at all. Instead, I was just confused, right? I was confused on why my relationship with him meant so much more to me than it did for him. I was just confused how I was so oblivious to what was happening between us that I had no idea that this was even coming. And I was just confused on what I must have done that kept me from standing next to him on one of the biggest days of his life. So you can imagine in that moment, I just had a lot of just unanswered questions. And if we're honest, that is what makes confusion so hard and so difficult. It's the unanswered questions that come with it. It's not knowing why something is happening when we want to know why so desperately. It's not knowing why that person doesn't want to date us. It's not knowing why those friends always seem to hang out, but they don't invite us to come along. And it's not knowing why that parent left all those years ago, and we haven't seen them since. That's what makes confusion so hard. And that's why it's so difficult for us to experience it in our lives. Because confusion has more questions than answers. And that's what makes it something that we wrestle with. And that's why we absolutely hate it, right? Because we are people who love to have questions answered, right? We are problem solvers, right? That's what we enjoy doing. But why it's so hard to worship God in the midst of our confusion is that we sit there and we have no idea why something is happening. We have no idea what caused it. And we have no idea what we can do to prevent it from happening again. And so we're just stuck there. Confused because our expectations aren't matching up with our experience. And so tonight, as we jump into Psalm 44, this is the situation where the people in Israel are finding themselves in. They're in a situation where their expectations aren't matching up with their experience. And this psalm is different than any psalm that we've read so far. And I love it because this psalm isn't written from the perspective of an individual like David, like we saw last week. Instead, this psalm is written from the perspective of an entire nation. And so what they're doing in this psalm is they're really just kind of telling a story where they're using verse and rhyme to tell a story about what has been happening in their lives. And they start off this story talking about all the amazing things that God has done for his people a long time ago, centuries ago when God brought his people into the promised land under Joshua. And so the psalm starts off in an amazing way. It says, we have heard with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did for them in their days and days long ago. And then it goes through and recounts all the heroic things that God did for his people. How God fought for them. How God delivered them from their enemies with his power. 
It talks about how God established them in the land that he promised to give them because of his faithfulness. And it talks about how God goes to battle for his people because he loves them. And so it's just going on and talking about all the amazing things that God did for his people. And as it's going through, you're seeing that, I mean, Israel is living the dream. They have this amazing life where this amazing God is doing everything for them. And he's taking care of them. But then verse 9 comes around. And all of a sudden you see this dramatic twist, this unexpected turn taking place in the psalm. Because as the psalmist are writing, then they say, but now you have rejected and humbled us. And they go on for seven verses explaining what God has done to reject them. That although he once gave them victory over their enemies, now they have to run before them. They have to run away from them. Even though he wants to establish them in this land that he promised to give to their forefathers, now they are scattered among the nations. And even though God used to fight for them because he loved them, they say now God has sold them into slavery. I mean, that's the intense language that they're using here. And so we see when they are writing this, they are writing this with their hearts breaking. Because no longer are they living the dream. Instead, they are sitting there in the middle of a nightmare. And what makes this situation so devastating, what makes this situation so horrible for them, is as this is happening, they have absolutely no idea why. They are completely confused on why God is treating them this way. And that's what we pick up in verse 17. So Psalm, 4, Psalm 44, verse 17, let's read it together. This is what they say. They say, and this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet have not strayed from your path. But you crushed us, and you made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. And when they are writing to God, their expectations of what God should be doing is not matching their experience, is it? And they're confused because when God made a covenant that he's talking about here, a covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai, the stipulations are really clear, right? When God made this promise to him, he said, here's the deal. If you guys continue to follow after me, then I'm gonna be with you, right? If you're true to my covenant and you don't forget me, if you don't turn your back from me, if you don't worship other gods, then I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna protect you, and I'm gonna take care of you. I mean, it was very clear. And they are so confused because they have been doing this. And they have lived up to their end of the deal. But yet this is still happening to them. Even though they have been innocent, right? Even though they have continued to follow after God, they have still seen this stuff take place in their lives. And so what they feel like is happening is that God is punishing them, even though they haven't done anything wrong. Even though they've done nothing to deserve this. It'd be like your parents telling you, if you make the dean's list, we'll take you on a Caribbean cruise. And you're like, let's go, right? And then you make the dean's list. And you show your parent that cool letter that they send you in the mail. And they say, oh, thank you so much. You're grounded for a month. I mean, you'd be like, what? That doesn't make any sense, right? In that moment, you'd be completely confused. In that moment, you would feel like what they were doing was unfair, right? Because you lived up to your end of the deal. You did what you were supposed to do, and now they're choosing to do something completely opposite. And right now, the children of Israel, that's what they feel like. 
they feel like their father is treating them unfairly because they did what they were supposed to do. And for some reason, God isn't doing what he's supposed to do. And so as they continue on with this psalm, they continue to give proof that what they are saying is right and that they haven't done anything wrong. Because in verse 20, we read this. He said, we have forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God. Would you not have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And so what they are saying is that, God, if we would have worshiped other gods, you would have known about it and you would have told us that. You would have called us out for disobeying you, but God, you haven't. And so your silence is just proving what we know to be true, that we haven't done anything wrong. But yet we are still being killed and slaughtered like we're some kind of wild animal. I mean, in this moment, what we see happening is that these people are confused and they're frustrated. And they're trying to wrap their minds around why this is happening to them because they haven't done anything to deserve it. And so what this looks like to these people writing this psalm is that even though they've lived up to their end of the deal, God hasn't. Even though they've done what they're supposed to do, God has chosen to do something different. I mean, that's what we see them saying. It seems like God is the one who's been false to their covenant, that God has been the one that has, for, that has broken it, even though they haven't. It's like God is the one who has walked away from them, even though they've continued to walk in the path that he told them to. And it's like God's heart has changed, even though they have chosen to stay dedicated to him. And so in this moment, they are completely confused. And God does not look much like the hero in their story right now. Instead, he looks like the antagonist. He looks like the one who is causing this to happen for no good reason. And so they're confused. And they have no idea what to do. And I would almost guarantee if any of us were in this situation, if any of us were living back then when all this is happening, we'd feel the exact same way that they do. And the reason is because we also operate under the same mindset that they're operating under in this psalm. We operate under the same framework on how we understand life and how things happen and how we find ourselves in the situations that we do. Because our lives, when we look at our situations, are really a combination of two things. They're a combination of God's heart and our actions. So this was a math problem, because who doesn't love math, especially in church? This is what it would look like. So God's heart plus my actions equal my situation, right? So this is what I mean by that. Or the people of Israel know that God's heart wants them to be living out the promise that he made with them, right? God wants them to follow after the covenant. That's God's heart. Their actions is that they are doing that. They are living out their lives the way that God has called them to. So under that scenario, the situation they show in should be in a really good one. Right? God should be protecting them. God should be fighting for them. God should be doing all the things that he did for the people in ancient Israel to their ancestors before them. That's the framework that they're working under. And see, we work under the same framework in our lives. Because let's say that God's heart 
is based upon Psalm 37.4, right? When God says that he will give us our, the desires of our heart if we find ourselves delighted in him, right? Amazing passage. We often talk about that passage, or at least we know that passage, right? It's this amazing idea to display God's heart. That if you delight in God, he would give you the desires of your heart, right? That's what God wants, right? That's his heart for us. So if our actions are to work really hard to live out that career that God has put on our hearts, right? To become that teacher or that nurse or that doctor or that computer programmer, right? To live that out in our life. If we pursue that with all the effort that we have and we try, then we expect for our situation to be us on a smooth path to that career that we want and to that dream job that we hope to get, right? Because we think that God's heart and my actions should equal my situation. And so if God's heart is good and my actions are good, then my situation will also be good. Because we get it if like we mess up, like if we don't study or we don't go to class and we fail, right? We get that. But we get confused when our actions are where they should be, but then our situation isn't. Right? The people are confused because their actions have been living out the way God wants them to, but their situation is that they're getting killed by their enemies. And so what happens when this formula breaks down, we do the same thing that the writers of this psalm do. In that moment, we question God's heart. We question the only variable of the equation that we can't see. Because we can see our actions and we can see our situation, but we can't see God's heart. And all throughout the psalm, that's exactly what they're doing. They're questioning God's heart. They're saying that God has forgotten them, that he has not been with them, right? That he is allowing all these horrible things to happen to them. That they're being crushed, that they're being covered in darkness. Even though they've done nothing wrong. And we find ourselves in similar situations where we're confused. We do the exact same thing. Because we question God's heart when our situation changes, but our actions haven't. We question God's heart when our situation changes, but our actions haven't. We question God's heart when even though we've tried so hard to get into that program, we get rejected. We question God's heart when we've tried so much and done so much work to get that career job that we want, but then we find ourselves in the middle of our major realizing this is too hard and we have to step out. And we question God's heart and we finally do graduate, but then nobody offers us a job or we can't get into that grad school to continue on with our career. And we question God's heart. Why? Because in that moment, we've done our part, right? We lived up to our end of the deal. We've done exactly what we're supposed to do. We've worked hard. We have this desire. We pursued it in our life. And now we're sitting there feeling like we're in a situation that we shouldn't be in. Because our actions have been good, but yet our situation isn't. And so whenever we find ourselves in our lives confused at God, this is the formula that we're working under. Because we're confused, what's commonly the phrase that we say to ourselves is, I don't deserve for this to be happening to me. Because we work under this mindset that we're innocent. Like the people of Israel, we've done nothing wrong. 
We've done nothing to bring this upon ourselves. And so we're confused because our actions are good, but our situation isn't. And so we question God's heart. We question if God really loves us as much as he said he does. We question if God really cares about us based upon where we find ourselves. And we wonder if God is really on our team, even though our situation is so bad. And so in the moments that we're confused, if we're straight up, if we're real with ourselves, in our story, God looks a lot more like the antagonist than the hero. He looks like the one who's causing us the confusion instead of the one who's resolving it. And so we feel like the only thing we have left to do is to question God's heart and why he's not given us what we feel like we deserve. But when we find ourselves in the moments of being confused, of not knowing what God is doing, we have to do something. We need to do something. We need to do what the people who write this psalm do as they continue to cry out to God in the middle of their confusion. Because this is what we see next. This is what helps us understand how we, can hold on to the, how we can hold on to God and walk through confusion in our lives and how we can still worship him. Because verse 23 says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. And what we see happening in this moment is these people being real and raw with God, just like we saw last week with David in Psalm 13. I mean, they aren't afraid to express to God how they feel. And in the midst of their hard feelings, they aren't afraid to ask God questions. To ask God, why are you sleeping? Why is it like you're hiding from us in the midst of our pain in our life when we need you the most? And so what they're doing here that I love, that we have to remember when we're confused, is that they are allowing their hard feelings to spill over into hard questions. And we have to do the same thing. We can't be afraid to allow our hard feelings to spill over into hard questions that they're doing here. We can't be afraid to ask God, why does it feel like I'm never going to get married? Or why is it that I try so hard to have a good relationship with my mom and my dad and it doesn't work? Or God, why is all these things happening in my life right now that's causing me to hate it? And we have to be real with God. We have to come to God with our hard questions. But then as they continue to write the final verse of the psalm, they show us what we do after we do that. After we come to God asking him why things are happening in our lives. And that's what we see in verse 26. It says, rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. So in the midst of everything that we've talked about, in the midst of the situation that they find themselves in that are so confusing because their experience and their expectations are not matching up, in this moment, they end this psalm by asking God to rescue them because of his unfailing love. And so they hold on to something in the midst of not knowing what's happening. 
something that we have to hold on to when we ask God the hard questions. Because what's taking place here is that they're allowing their hard feelings to spill over into hard questions. We talked about that. But this is what they're not doing. They're not allowing the hard questions to create within them hard hearts. And that is huge. Because I can promise you, if you come to God with hard questions and you don't take the time to remember who he is, then you will walk away with a hard heart. You will walk away angry at God. You will walk away bitter at God. And you will walk away resentful for why God has put you in this situation that you don't want to be in. And so we come to God with our hard questions. We have to do that in the midst of our confusion, but we can't stop there. Because then we find ourselves not wanting to worship God at all in that moment. And so if we want to worship God in the middle of our confusion, we have to hold on to something that is consistent. We have to hold on to something that never fails, and that's God's love. And we remember this amazing reality that if God's love never fails, then neither does his heart. Even when we can't see it. Even we have no idea what's happening. Even when things in our life don't seem to add up. Because we might reduce our relationship with God to an equation, but the reality is God doesn't. And we know that when we look to the cross. Because what we see happening at the cross is this amazing display that even when we can't see God's heart, and even in the moment that it might seem like he's rejected us and left us, and doesn't want anything to do with us. We see that his unfailing love is still there. Because when Jesus is doing his ministry, and he is walking around, he is healing people. He is casting out demons, right? He is raising people from the dead. In that moment, if you're following Jesus, if you're one of his disciples, it looks like that God is blessing this guy. It looks like this guy is doing everything that he's supposed to do, right? It looks like he is living the way that Israel lived as God was bringing them into the promised land where everything is clicking and everything seems to be pointing towards this idea that God loves him, that God fights for him, and that God is on his side. But even though Jesus' actions didn't change, even though he never strayed from God, even though his heart towards God never changed, at one point in his life, his situation did. Because he found himself sitting on death row about to die for a crime that he didn't commit. And see, the Old Testament is very clear. The Old Testament explains how anybody who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. So when Jesus was walking to Calvary, to everybody who was watching, in that moment, it looked like that God had rejected this guy. Although he once was doing miracles, although it once looked like, like God was on his side, it now looked like that God had chosen to go in a different direction and that God's heart was being revealed by allowing this guy to die a death on a cross like a criminal. So you can imagine how confused the disciples were as they sat there and they watched their leader on a cross cry out a hard question of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And in that moment, that seemed to validate everything that the situation was pointing towards. That this guy had been disowned by God. That this guy had been deserted by God. And this guy had been forgotten by God. But we know through the midst of all of that happening, that you can't reduce the cross to an equation. And that even though we couldn't see God's heart, his unfailing love was still there. Because the cross can't be reduced to an equation because it's not one. Instead, it's a story. It's a story about a God who had to be pierced for our transgressions, who had to be crushed because of our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace and we can stand here today and worship him through our confusion because by his wounds we've been healed. And that's the beauty of the cross. And when you understand that God is doing something behind the scenes, that there's a bigger story taking place, then even in the midst of all of that that is happening, God's unfailing love is still the foundation. And the cross shows us that's true for our lives as well. Because we can't reduce our relationship with God to an equation when instead it's a story. A story of a God who pursued us, who loved us, who did everything possible so that we could be saved. And we're confused. We have no idea how the story is going to end. We have no idea where we're going to go, but what we can do is rest in this amazing reality that wherever it goes, God's love is going to be there. And that our lives end the same way that this psalm does with God's unfailing love. That's what we hold on to. That's what we rest in in the midst of everything taking place in our lives. And when we do that, then we can worship God, even if we have questions. When we do that, we can still value God even when we don't have the answers to what's happening in our life. Because we know if God's love never fails, then his heart's never going to fail either. And so this is how we worship God in the middle of our confusion. Is we worship without the answer when we value God more than the question. We worship even when we don't know what's happening. Even we're plagued with questions when we know that God and his love is greater and more valuable than anything that's happening in our life. I mean, we get that and we understand that then we can allow our hard questions to go to God, but then we can also allow our hearts to worship him, remembering who he is. And so now as we wrap up, here's my challenge. It's in a question, right? Here's what I want us to think about tonight. Is what unanswered questions are keeping you from worshiping God? And what things are you going through in your life that you just don't know why? It just seems a mystery to you, right? You seem like you've done everything right. You've done what you're supposed to do, but still it seems that you're in this situation that you don't want to be in. And how is that keeping you from worshiping God? How is that keeping you from seeing what God is doing in your life? So my challenge for us is to realize that even when we can't see God's heart, we know that it's always good. And even when we can't understand what's happening, we can always fall back on God's unfailing love.
And so let's cry out to God and ask him to rescue us and to help us because of his unfailing love. And so as we go into this last set, let's worship God even though we don't know the answers because we value him and we love him more than we do the questions. So let's do that tonight for our good, but most importantly, man, for God's glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to worship you even in the midst of our confusion. So God, I thank you for for just the pattern that we see happening in this passage, Lord. How God, that we can come to you with the hard questions. But God, we don't have to allow those to cause our hearts to be hard. Because even when we can't see it, Lord, even when we can't understand it, we can still rest in the fact that your love never fails. And when we look to the cross and we look to what God has done for us, and that enables us to see who you are and what you've done, then we can rest in the deep, deep love of our Heavenly Father. And so I pray that we would do that right here, right now. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.